It comes as no surprise to any of us that grace is irresistible. That is, after all, why we got in our cars this morning to drive here. Something within us longs to glimpse that goodness and light that we still hope exist in this fractured world of ours. Like Zacchaeus, we will even embarrass ourselves by running through the streets to see it. Like Zacchaeus, we will exert some unusual effort to climb up in that sycamore tree to see it, or maybe even to risk finding a parking place on Ward Parkway on a Sunday morning. We know, too, from our own personal experiences that sometimes grace hits us smack in the face when we weren't even looking for it. Linda Reeves, a member of our congregation, has volunteered at Della Lamb Community Center, one of our partners on the northeast side, for several years now. Last year, Linda was working over at Della Lamb with some other volunteers to set up what's known as Operation Thanksgiving. They were assembling food baskets for about 1,700 families in the Northeast. One of the other volunteers from the community that day was extremely high energy to the point of driving Linda absolutely crazy. The woman was loud and annoying. But being a trooper and quite patient, Linda just kept on working behind those long eight-foot tables that stretched across the gymnasium floor. With the other volunteers, she placed upon those long eight-foot tables the yams, the green beans, the stuffing mix, the turkeys, and then they got out grocery sacks and lined them up on more long tables, picking a, a space so that the Participants, the 1,700 families, could file through the gymnasium and pick up their own Thanksgiving baskets. Well, finally, Linda didn't know how she could tolerate this woman's personality much longer, so she decided to try to engage her in conversation. And she said to the other volunteer, Why did you decide to volunteer at Della Lamb this year? And the lady replied without hesitation, Well, I have two daughters, and my daughters and I have been through some rough years. In fact, the last three years, we were on the receiving side of these tables, picking up our own Thanksgiving basket. But she said, Now I have a job, and we're doing well, and I'm so excited to finally be on this side of the table. Grace. It came over Linda, and she saw anew how God's goodness and light, God's love and peace could flow through even the most annoying volunteer. Neither Linda nor her new friend could resist the grace and the goodness of their lives, and so together they served 1,700 families Thanksgiving baskets. When we hear about Zacchaeus running at breakneck speed, to get a front row seat to see Jesus in what must have been the sprint center of Jericho, we can understand his unbridled enthusiasm. For like Zacchaeus, many of us long for something beyond the material success that we have achieved in this life. Like Zacchaeus, we have an intense desire to know Jesus, who reportedly forgives us for all the stuff in our past that we're not too terribly proud of. Recently, I listened to a podcast in which the conservative columnist David Brooks 
was asked to share how it is that he became more interested in his own theology and spirituality beyond his interest in civics and politics. David told the interviewer, Krista Tippett, that there were three reasons why he was drawn into spiritual formation. He said one reason in particular was the experience of grace. He said it for him, it happened one night when he had just finished a long day of work. He had just wrapped up his nightly commentating position on the PBS evening news hour. And he drove home in the D.C. traffic and he pulled up into his driveway and it was 7.30 at night, but it was summer and so it was still light out. And David said, my kids who were then 12 and 9 and 4 were in the backyard playing with one of those supermarket balls, tossing it up in the air and running across the yard and chasing the ball and tumbling all over one another. And they were just giggling and laughing and shouting with delight and joy and sitting there in the driveway looking out at the backyard. He was confronted with this perfect tableau of family happiness. And he said the sun was shining through the trees, and for some reason that evening his yard, his lawn, looked just perfectly manicured. And so he just stared through the windshield, and he thought, this is one of those moments when reality just sort of spills out of the boundaries, and time and space seem suspended. And he was aware of a happiness that he knew he didn't deserve and he called it grace. He said it's what happens when your soul swells up just a little bit and you want to be worthy of that kind of happiness. Grace, we know, it's irresistible. The modern spiritual leader, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, once said that it's not that we need more information. We need more appreciation. And then the moment comes when we truly see that grace is irresistible and that life is filled with such undeserved blessings that we, like Zacchaeus, long to climb up in that sycamore tree to see what it is that God might be offering to us next. But then there's the shocking part of this story. Absolutely everyone on that day was shocked both Zacchaeus and the crowds. You see, everyone knew that Zacchaeus was a cheater and a traitor and a collaborator with the occupying Roman forces. He was one of those rich men willing to get richer by extorting money from the commoners. When we read in the text that Dr. Miles just read from that he was a tax collector, we don't mean that he worked for the IRS. We mean he's part of the mafia. He's one of the bad guys, no dispute. And so everyone would have been just fine that day in Jericho if Jesus would have just politely looked up in the sycamore tree and waved and then gone on to spend the night in the Holiday Inn and have a nice little dinner at Denny's. But instead... Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Hey, come down from that tree. I want to have dinner at your house tonight. I'm going to sleep over and stay at your house. Wait, wait, Jesus, you don't get it. The mayor of Jericho is here today. In fact, we have reserved a room for you on the plaza at the Ritz. We have a dinner planned for you with the United Way leaders and with some of the local clergy. 
The scriptures tell us that those who were watching that day when he entered Jericho and said he would go to the home of Zacchaeus absolutely grumbled. And who among us would have done otherwise? Why would Jesus hang out with this small man who everyone knew was a big scoundrel? But no one is more shocked than Zacchaeus himself. He is so overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus invited himself over for dinner that he volunteers on the spot to repay everyone he has cheated money from a fourfold return. He turns away from his greed and he offers up half of his net worth to empower the poor. Oh my goodness, Zacchaeus has gone overboard. If he wanted to make amends, the law says pay back what you took from someone with 20% interest. If you want to be a religious person, everyone knows you tithe. But half of his net worth? Zacchaeus demonstrates that he is absolutely overwhelmed that Jesus would want to hang out with him. You see, the shocking part of this story is that Jesus can't resist grace. He can't resist loving even those of us who know deep down we are small and full of flaws. Jesus breaks the rules of the day when he points up to Zacchaeus perched in that sycamore tree and says, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus can't seem to help himself. Everywhere he goes, Jesus seems to express God's inability to, inability to stop loving us no matter how much we continue to mess up. Zacchaeus had heard rumor that Jesus would hang out with the likes of him, but not until he experienced it for himself did it change him forever. Only when Jesus entered Zacchaeus' dirty house where the socks were still on the floor and the dishes were still in the sink did it dawn on him that the light of his, in the light of this grace Zacchaeus' own life would never be the same. Zacchaeus was transformed when he realized that despite his own shortcomings as a human being, Jesus could not resist loving him. Most of us know this intellectually. We know that God loves us, but most of us secretly harbor some doubts about whether or not God would ever want to hang out with us. This summer, I read a novel called The Anchoress, which was about a cloistered nun. And I remember thinking, what could possibly happen in this novel? Because this woman spends her entire life inside an eight-by-eight room praying and reading. The only interaction she has with other people is when the priest comes to receive her confession and when some of the village women come and sit out the narrow slit in her stone window to receive counseling. But the nun in this novel spends so much of her time wondering if she is worthy of God's love, if she's doing the right thing, 
And I wondered if this nun in this cloistered room praying all day long doesn't feel worthy, can you and I ever feel worthy? Would God want to have dinner and spend the night in our home? What would God find out about us if God did? That we abuse a substance? That our relationship with our spouse is strained? That we are afraid to follow our dreams? That we lack confidence? That we sometimes gossip? That we even speak harshly to our own brother or sister? You fill in the blank. You are the one who knows what makes your life, your house, your faith, an inadequate dwelling place for God. David Brooks wrote an article a few weeks back about a couple in Washington, D.C. named Kathy and David. Kathy and David have a teenage son, and their teenage son had a friend at school who didn't have enough food to eat at his house. And so Kathy and David said to their son, we'll invite him over for dinner. And the the son and the friend came, and the friend had another friend, and he came too. And eventually, there were 15 or 20 high school and young adult folks gathering every Thursday at Kathy and David's for dinner. And some of the folks would even sleep over. And some of the kids said that they came from homes where the parent was in prison or the parent was abusive. And one girl admitted one night when she was working on her college applications that she planned to lie on her financial aid form because she didn't want to admit that her father was dead and her mother was addicted to drugs. Another girl who came to Kathy and David's table for dinner one night was 21 years old, and she said, this is the first time in 10 years I've eaten at a family table. One Thursday night, a teenage girl came to dinner, and after supper, she sat down with Kathy on the sofa, and she poured out her heart, and she sobbed, and she sobbed, and when she finished crying, she said to Kathy, thank you for seeing the light in me. Maybe what happened for Zacchaeus that day was that Jesus, who knew darn well that Zacchaeus was a nasty tax collector, saw the light in him. Jesus couldn't resist seeing the light, the potential in Zacchaeus. And maybe Jesus can't resist seeing the light in you and in me. Maybe He even wants to hang out with us, which is both a heartwarming and a frightening prospect. Because if Jesus enters into the heart of who we are, it might change us just like it radically changed Zacchaeus. Last summer, I worked as a volunteer on the southern tip of Italy with an organization working to rescue refugees, traveling by rickety boats, coming across the Mediterranean to safety in Europe. The odd thing about this island where I worked is that this island was a tourist island. The 6,000 year-round residents of this island make their living from fishing and from tourism. From the 20,000 tourists who arrive there for four months of the year to bask 
on the beautiful white beaches and savor the fresh lobster that they just brought up out of the Mediterranean. So the people on this particular island are not exactly thrilled when the migrant boats show up in the summer with thousands of homeless folks dressed in rags. It's bad for tourism because tourists go to places like this to escape reality, not to face it in all its horrific pain. So while I was there on this little Italian island, I asked a lot of questions. Why did the Italians begin this refugee program? How do the locals respond when the refugees arrive? And they told me this story. They said that in the first week of October in 2013, very early in the morning, near dawn, a group of fishermen from the island were out fishing within eyeshot of the island. Suddenly the fishermen heard what sounded like a flock of birds, only louder than it usually is. And so they went towards this chirping sound, and the fishermen arrived at the sound, and they looked out, and as the sunlight was hitting the ocean, they saw not birds, but hands waving in the air, hundreds of folks who were in the process of drowning as their refugee boat was sinking. The fishermen began radioing their friends for help, and everyone, both from the land and from the other boats, began speeding towards the spot to conduct search and rescue. And on this day, it wasn't the Coast Guard, it was the local people pulling the men and the women and the children out of the sea. 368 drowned, 155 were rescued. And one of the women who, was, who drowned that day, when she was pulled up out of the sea, still had her infant attached to her with the umbilical cord. On that day in October, the people on that little Italian island changed. Why? Because they had seen for themselves like Zacchaeus, they could no longer resist grace. It had to flow through them. Beware, beware of God's irresistible grace.